the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Yeah, on the country out today, let's go harvesting. The way that the season's fanned out this year were pretty scary. It's pretty scary to think, um, you know, it's a bit of rain potentially around and they're still expecting more rain, so our plan is to get it off in as quick a fashion as possible, put it in the, on the ground in bags and help protect it. So, yeah, downgrade is, uh, is definitely a high risk this year with uh, a lot of rainfall around, so that's our our plan is get a cup, get a bit of help. So we've got a, yeah, we've got a contracting team in to give us a hand. You can let us know how far you were away from your harvest or if you've started already, 1300 You can text as well, 0467 We'll go to a couple of flood-affected communities and talk about the future of a southwest sale yard today on the program. I hope you can stay with us and send us a text, 0467 Right now, though, uh, some information coming out of Senate estimates and much more in rural news with Angus Verley. Angus. Thanks, Was Potato growers in Tasmania have welcomed an offer from Simplot to pay them more money for the crop they're still trying to plant. Weeks of constant rain has made it impossible for planting equipment to get onto paddocks. Lee Elphinstone from the Simplot Potato Growers Committee hopes an extra $20 a tonne will be an incentive to plant as late as December. Option one is they will guarantee a yield of 50 tonne to the hectare for spuds planted after the 14th of November. That's for crops that may yield between 19 and 49 tonne, um, just to guarantee growers that they're supporting them and they'll help them through the tough season if, if it doesn't turn out real good. They want the spuds planted, that's sort of option one, or growers could opt for option two, which is another $20 a tonne on the contract price. Okay, and what's option three? And then, well, they've then come out with another offer that's uh, applicable to everyone. If you can grow uh, over your contracted volume off your contracted area, uh, they'll pay $150 premium on top of the contract price for that over quota potatoes. And farmers who grow for McCain's in Tasmania are still waiting to hear back from the company on whether it'll also offer an extra financial incentive to plant potatoes. Senate Estimates is on this week as a myriad of senators on the Rural, Regional Affairs and Transport Legislation Committee grilled the government on its performance on agriculture. At Estimates, the Australian Fisheries Management Authority has revealed that interceptions of illegal fishing vessels in Australian waters have been rising since the COVID pandemic began. A record 337 fishing vessels were intercepted by Australian authorities in the 2021-22 financial year. AFMA Chief Executive Wes Norris and Agriculture Minister Murray Watt explain why. So we've seen a ramp up since COVID started. COVID, since COVID started? Okay. I think think I'm right in saying, and Mr Norris went into this before, there's some evidence to suggest that countries that had been reliant on tourism income with tourists drying up People yep. were, people decided to explore other ways to make a living, I guess is what it comes down to. And the Department of Agriculture, Fisheries and Forestry was asked about agriculture's place in the government's commitment to reduce methane emissions. The federal government has signed on to the Global Methane Pledge, which is a voluntary commitment with 122 signatories, including the United States, United Kingdom and the European Union working collectively to reduce global methane emissions across all sectors 
by at least 30% below 2020 levels by 2030. Secretary of the Department, Andrew Metcalf, says farming is a big methane emitter. In 2020, about 47% of Australia's methane emissions came from agriculture, so methane is a significant issue for the agriculture um, uh, community. Um, Net zero and uh, carbon reduction is important for agriculture, uh, but methane is particularly important for agriculture. And methane, of course, uh, has particular properties as a gas that means that it uh, uh, is of particular concern in relation to greenhouse uh, uh, emissions. Of the uh, agricultural methane emissions, um, 89% came from um, enteric fermentation um, from from cattle and sheep uh, and 11% from uh, manure management. Uh, The industry has well and truly understood um, this issue um, and indeed it's uh, uh, now several years old the commitment by Meat and Livestock Australia uh, to undertake research programs with a commitment to reducing um, to net zero um, um, emissions by 2030. So in many respects, Australian agriculture in taking a a global lead on finding um, innovative ways, uh, particularly through feed supplements, uh, uh, the Minister mentioned seaweed, um, earlier uh, to actually address the challenge of methane, do it in a positive way that uh, ensures that the industry survives and prospers. And so um, while, of course, there is a cost with any change, there is a far bigger cost in not changing. And the government's commodity forecaster, ABES, has revealed what its economists believe to be the effects of climate change on Australian farmers' bottom line. Executive Director Jared Greenville says the numbers are big. The, the figure is 23% or around $30,000 per farm. So that's the impact of changes over the last 20 years compared to if farms had operated in a climate of the past. Um, in terms of the specific question so on... So how did you come up with that number? So what we do is we look at farms of today through our long farm survey and we've built a, a micro-sim model of, of farm performance which tracks pretty well what the outcomes are given a weather system that a farm has. And we've taken the average climate conditions from 1950 to 2000 and put today's farms in that and compared that to the actual climate that they experienced over the past now 20 to 25 years. And the difference between those two tells you the climate impact. Was that's it for Rural News. Thanks very much for that. Angus Verley there with Rural News for you today. You can get your text in soon if you'd like, especially if if you're harvesting or if you want to tell us how far away you are, obviously... Rain permitting, of course. We've got another big rain event coming up on Sunday. Well, that's what the Bureau were telling us about yesterday. In about 20 minutes' time, I'll ask for the update on how that rain event's looking and how the rest of the week is looking as well. We won't start with floods today, though. We'll start at Warrnambool with Warrnambool City Council voting to close the South West Victorian Livestock Exchange after councillors voted 4-3 to to decommission the site at a meeting last night. As Jane McNaughton reports, the site will be closed in late June next year. The future of the sow yards has been on the council's agenda since August when councillors voted against a $5.6 million upgrade for the yard. After numerous rounds of consultation and economic analysis, the Shire's officers recommended the venue be closed next year after it was found to be unlikely to be financially sustainable. The sow yard has been in its current location since 1970. Mayor Debbie Arnott says there has been a huge decline in cattle through the sow yards. And it's been on a steady decline for the last Oh, 10 years and each year it's been subsequently falling but when we get to look at financial modelling the numbers required to even get anywhere near a break-even point was just near impossible to achieve it's 
especially when now we've got a facility only 40 minutes from Warrnambool and it's a state-of-the-art facility. I think the clincher was that if at 20 years' time, which the facility wouldn't last in that position another 20 years, we would still end up owing more money than probably what the land value was worth. And so that would have meant we would have squandered away the value of the salaries, the land. And all of those years would have placed further debt on the rate payers. Warrnambool Stock Agents President Kieran Johnson said the sale yards offered a commercial and social benefit to the local agricultural industry. We're pretty uh, disappointed with with uh, some of the council's decisions, uh, certainly for um, the businesses of Warrnambool, you know, the staff, the farmers and the stakeholders of, of the yards. You know, it's just, I don't think uh, some of the council uh, really understand the economic impact that it's uh, was going to have on, on the city of Warrnambool. Well, it's not uh, always just about the, uh, the money, really, on, on a facility like that is... You know, it's um, the social values as well as of sale yards, and it's a really community hub. You know, farmers are very resilient uh, people, but you know they really, really rely on um, certainly the uh, Southwest Victorian Livestock Exchange for their their uh, weekly outing. I mean, you've only got to pop in yourself and, and see the um, see not just old people, young people. You know, they're all uh, you know, talking. They're um, you know getting their problems off their chest, they're, they're talking about you know how their farm's going, how other farms are going and what's working for them and, and what's not working. You know, it's a real real community hub and you know, there's a lot of banter happens and it's just a, a, an exciting place to be on a uh, sale day. Mr Johnston said the community was angry the sale yards were left to become derelict, despite it generating more than $5 million in gross regional product annually and supporting the equivalent of 56 full-time jobs. Absolutely angry, but also too, they can blame, blame previous cancel. Um, but you know, the, the, this this uh, this term cancelled um, had the opportunity to stand up and and uh, and, and be uh, counted. I just think uh, you know they could have made a, a big decision for Warnable. Uh, it, it's pretty easy to blame previous cancel. And and okay, I, I do understand that it, uh, you know previous cancel it, it has read to see we've been having this fight for you know over ten years. It's uh, it's it's getting uh, it's getting tiring. You know, there's going to be jobs lost here. It's um, very um, disappointing. So we just have to work out, you know, where we go from here. There are other selling centres, you know, Mangambia and um, Hamilton, uh, Camperdown. So, it, you know, but we'll just have to weigh up what's best for our clients. You know, and, and the thing is, you know, it's going to be more cost for them. Warrnambool City Council has also been charged by WorkSafe following an investigation into the collapse of a buyer's platform at the sale yards in October 2020. The council has been charged with a single breach of the Occupational Health and Safety Act for failing to ensure, as far as reasonably practical, that persons other than employees were not exposed to risks for the health and safety. WorkSafe will allege that the council failed to ensure the buyer's platform was safe despite knowing that other load-bearing structures had corroded at the site. The matter is listed for a first mention at the Warrnambool Magistrates Court on the 5th of December this year. That is Jane McNaughton with that report. How do you feel about the end of the Warrnambool sale yards? You can let us know, 1300 977 222, if you'd like to call, 1300 977 222. Let's go to our coverage of the flooding in northern Victoria now, though, as massive flows from the Warcool River, I should say southern New South Wales too, especially since we're about to go there, as massive flows from the Warcool River try and squeeze into the swollen Murray River in the Goodnight Kenley district. Excavators and bulldozer drivers are working madly to top up banks that have kept the district safe for more than 60 years. Doug Best is farming right on the junction of those two rivers and he spoke last 
uh, in the last hour with rural reporter Angus Verley just after managing to repair another levee breach. Yeah, well, we're looking at the river rising about uh, four to five centimetres a day. That's very hard um, to know exactly what's... Uh, we're getting mixed messages. very hard to know exactly what's coming. This one has a, has a mind of its own. It seems to be uh, presenting different to uh, most other floods that we've ever had. And, Doug, you've got where you are. You're right, right in the corner there where the Warcall joins the Murray and you've got frontage to both rivers? Yes, yes. So it's um, basically, um, yeah, this is uh, the, 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 the actual junction when it's um, no flood is probably about five k's from where I'm standing now, but um, I'm within uh, 30 metres of, of, of the water's edge right here. So it's a big expanse of water, massive. And um, probably eight kilometres either way, both looking to the north. And to the northwest, there's, um, yeah, there's a lot of water. And to think that it rises you know, four or five centimetres a day across that expanse, um, it's just, it's massive. As, uh, as everyone sort of upstream knows, it's uh, unbelievable. And I'm just looking at, at a video and a picture that you've sent me here, Doug. You've got, you've got machines there as we speak, uh, topping up your banks. I think you had a, a breach just a little bit earlier on this morning, so you've, uh, you're really copying it. Yes, about 10.30, um, there was an excavator trying to just top up a little bit, but anyway, it uh, it happened to, because um, the, the banks are just so um, so sodden, anyway, it, it let go. Fortunately, there was a, a bit of uh, a sheet of tin off a shed that I was able to drag about, um, I don't know, 50 metres, and uh, we plonked that in, and um, we were able to stem the flow a little bit, and uh, anyway... Amongst us all, we've been able to stop it. So um, a dozer came. We raced a dozer across. It was on another job, raced him across country, and uh, he was able to feed an excavator that arrived. So, um, so, but it's all just slop. It's uh, very difficult to, to work with. So, but anyway, the boys are doing a great job now. I've uh, walked away for us to take a breath. Have, have these levees ever breached before? Uh, look, 56. Um, you know that one in a hundred here. It, um, it, uh, yeah, they they breached. But um, we've done a lot of work since then. But um, we're patrolling these banks, you know, on a six to ten-hour basis, depending on what time we've got. So it's um, very tricky. And I said you've got the two rivers hitting you there, Doug. But the, the, the biggest volumes actually coming down the Warcall, isn't it? Massive volumes. Yes. Yes. It's. Um, it's um, it was interesting to watch the the river flow. It was earlier on. It was you know it was really rushing past, but then when the you know towards the peak of the Murray arriving, and then the, this one, it nearly became uh, you know the the, the current was um, nearly non-existent because the Murray's full and all of this water in the War Calls trying to get into a, what's already a full river. Yes, that's right. Yeah, so there's only one way for it to go, and that's up. And Doug, you said you've 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 plugged that breach in your bank, but who knows what's going to happen? So you, you're also building a, a secondary bank. Yes. So um, hopefully that will. Um, yes, hopefully that will hold. Yeah, surely that'll that'll do the job. It's just a matter of we're we're just um, we're buying time on our primary bank. Um, 
Uh, we're buying time on our primary bank and we're uh, putting up this secondary bank. As, as you know, it's an emotional time for everyone and um, we're sort of uh, on the bottom end. There's been so many people impacted upstream and um, everyone's pretty exhausted and uh, especially the, the, you know, the machinery fellas that are on the excavators and bulldozers and things. It's, you know, it's been a massive task and full credit to them. They've had a real crack. A bit of Aussie spirit there, they weren't going to go down without trying. So there's a, a lot of people being impacted down our river valleys. It's um, pretty pretty sad to see. But anyway, we just got to keep having a crack. And I assume that their phones don't stop ringing and they're putting in massive hours, those guys, on those, those people on those machines. Oh, yes. No, full credit to them. Yes, it's just... Um, yeah, no, they're, they're, uh, I tell you what, <laughs> when this thing's passed, they'll probably sleep for a week, I'd say. That's Doug Bears, two farms, on the junction of the Warcool and Murray Rivers, where there is a lot of water right now. Speaking there just a short time ago with Angus Verley, just after repairing another levee breach. Uh, we'll stay with Angus, we'll stay with the floodwaters in that part of the world right now, but in communities right across the floodplains, local people are stepping up to coordinate various flood responses. And in Kundruk, one of those is dairy farmer Skeeter Verhey who's been coordinating work like pumping stormwater and topping up levee banks. Angus spoke with Skeeter about the situation for the Kundruk district uh, where further river rises are expected for days to come. There's just a lot of water everywhere, to be honest, and, and the rain events just, you know, last, other week before last, uh, we seen the river sort of change a little bit. It rose quite quickly on the back of 67 mils. We had a, we've had the last three weeks, we've just seen to get a Sunday night storm and then we get a rain event on the Monday and yeah, two weeks ago we had a rain event we had 125 mil before that and then we had 67 mil uh, a week apart and it just showed how the volatility of the river like that water had to go somewhere, the 125 mil probably was soaked up in the area in the district but another 67 mil, well it was, it was just true runoff. it just had to run to the river And with the broader area Skeeter, if you look sort of to down toward the bar and the the um, Pyramid Creeks and then across to the Loddon River, uh, that Murrabit area, just how much water is there? How wide is the, the floodplain now? Yeah, so the pressure now is probably really, I sort of look at it as the, nar- as the narrowings or where it's going to channel. And, you know, we've got the water coming from the Loddon, the Pyramid Creek, uh, all that, that way from Bendigo's direction, all heading towards Benjeroot, Murrabit. And the people down there would be really stressed at the moment. There's a great wall of water. It's moving a bit slow because of all the crops that are probably holding it up a little bit. But um, you've got to remember, too, there's not a lot of the infrastructure down there now. With uh, After 2011, there was a lot of change to the landscape down there. There was channel banks removed and pipes and rises all ground just reverted back to dry land country. So... Um, their tiles down there, they've been working pretty hard, but, yeah, there's the real challenges are down there. Plus, they've got the Murray water right beside them. So if you happen to have a look at a map, it just it just all adds, it all runs to a narrowing in that in that direction. So, um, yeah, that water is, uh, yeah, it's it's a real issue down that way. How are people holding up? Because, as, as we've talked about, with this sort of riverine flooding, it's such a long-term battle you're weeks into it already weeks to go must be uh wearing people a bit thin um it's probably it just takes you away from the first thing i found just with the dairy like the dairy at the moment like just we can just oscillate to what we do where 
we're looking at, you know, one of the greatest seasons ever. And now it's sort of just turned a little bit where we've lost a lot of our fodder that we'd conserve. Um, animal health with sore feet and milk quality issues we've had. Um, they're probably been the, the things that have sort of need to be addressed in a normal situation. Or this is an unforeseen situation with so much water and flooding. But just to get out and, you know, we've been pumping water, we've been moving water around a lot to uh, try and save other assets around the town and, and other people's property, and it just adds to the workload. And I think the workload, um, we don't see it as work, you just got to get it done. But I think it sort of catches up with you after a time, and you have days there where you're a bit flat in that. But, you know, we, we just didn't know how well we had to be prepared, so we've just kept chipping away, and um, the communities work together. The conversation between everyone's been really, you know, we've got to be proactive and keep working on it, keep the monitoring going. It's been a hit and a miss sort of a thing. We, you know, it, it impacts people a lot. You know, it could be only 10, 15 kilometres from someone, but it impacts someone so much more than someone 10 or 15 k away. So, but we've just got to be mindful that those people are going to need help and they're going to need some support. So, we can do what we can locally, but from the outside, there's probably got to be a little bit more input to how we get these people back going again. How about across the river, Skeeter, into New South Wales? What are you, what are you hearing from there? So 54 millimetres fell out towards the Tullacool area just last night in a, in a freak storm, I heard. So those guys have been pumping water around like we have over here. So a lot of our water, a lot of water runs out there. They've got probably a greater scope on flood runners and water pushing out. So it all pushes out New South Wales once it gets to a certain, heavy, certain level in the river. And they've had some massive rain events also. They'd have their work cut out trying to move water just as we have, if not greater volumes. Yeah, it's just everywhere, really, in the immediate area. Um, there's issues for people about, you know, with the flooding and, and where they're moving that water. In the longer term, Skeeter, I've spoken with other people about this, but what's the conversation about uh, fodder supplies in, in the months to come, particularly for those people who've lost a lot of their own pasture and, and their own fodder and where they're going to source fodder from? The main thing is probably where we're going to get the protein, protein feeds at the moment. So around that radius of 200 kilometres around where we are, most crops have been lost or failed even further out. You know, probably looking to next winter is probably the real challenge. So how are we going to feed our cattle through if we have an, unseason, you know, an unfavourable winter, so another wet winter if we get one of those? It would be real interesting how we feed, feed these, these animals. That's Skeeter Verhey speaking to Angus Verley uh, on the program there about the situation around Kundruk and also what it means for his property there. You can keep the text coming. I'll get to some of those in a few minutes' time. We'll talk about water of a different kind right now, though, and head just over the border. The New South Wales Water Watchdog has begun a prosecution in the New South Wales Land and Environment Court against a lower Murray vineyard operator. The regulator alleges the former owner of a vineyard near Wentworth bypassed water metres and pumped up to 13,000 megalitres of water beyond their licence allocation. The water was allegedly taken illegally from the Darling River during the Millennium Drought. NRA Director of Investigations and Enforcement, Enforcement Lisa Stockley, said the allegations are extremely serious. 
Yes, that's correct. We allege that the amount taken was 13,000 megalitres. Uh, if you can think of an Olympic-sized swimming pool and then multiply that by 5,000, that's the quantity of water that we're alleging has been taken above the water allocation licence, water access licence. And what sort of period of time are we talking where this water was taken? So the alleged offences occurred between 2011 and 2015. However, they weren't reported to NRA um, until 2000, the end of 2021. So how did you find out? Uh, we, they were, we were alerted by a third party in relation to this matter uh, and then we undertook our own investigations, obviously, to establish whether the offence, we believe the offence had occurred. And you didn't notice it by things like, I know, satellite technology, you're always monitoring that. You didn't notice through that. Well, uh, at, at the time that the offences were occurring, NRA actually hadn't been established. So these these uh, offences predate NRA's establishment. What part of the state are we talking about and what rivers were affected? So we're talking about the general Wentworth area and the period of the offence actually was off the back of the millennium droughts that affected the Murray-Darling Basin and the southern cropping zones of the state at the time that the water was taken from the Darling River. Right, OK, so a pretty sensitive time to be taking water. Yes, absolutely. Um, when when NRA considers whether to take prosecution action, um, the level of uh, harm to the environment and the community is always something that we take into account. Surely water like this would normally have to be metered? Yes, that's right. So in this instance, uh, we will allege that they actually bypassed the water meter. Uh, so therefore, the um, alleged water take occurred without metering, therefore difficult to detect. So if this was happening then and they were able to bypass a water meter, I would imagine that there would be other properties at the same time that were doing this similar thing, that a lot of water metering uh, could have been bypassed at the time. Oh, well, look, I, I guess there is the potential for that. And if, if NRA receives information to that effect, um, obviously we investigate it. Um, what we have in place now is a little bit more sophisticated in terms of the technology that we use to monitor compliance. So it wouldn't be as easy to do this now as it was 10 years ago? Well, absolutely not. And what sort of fines, what sort of penalty might they face? So individuals uh, that are involved in a prosecution or are prosecuted at the Land and Environment Court can be fined up to $1.1 million or up to two years in jail. That's Lisa Stockley, Director of Investigations and Enforcement at the Nat- Natural Resource Access Regulator, which is the water enforcement watchdog in New South Wales. Speaking there to Michael Condon. And actually just on this, before we head to news headlines, uh, NRA put out a release about their their uh, prosecution over the water theft. But in it, they say the operator allegedly pumped 5,200 Olympic swimming pools worth of water rather than choosing to say 13,000 megalitres. And on the lighter side of a, a prosecution, where many smart people on social media have decided this is 0.026 of a Sydney harbour, or 17.33 billion VB long necks, or 3.25 billion goon bags. So you can choose your water uh, accounting measure of choice to put it into context for yourself. I hope you don't mind me having a laugh at exactly how people choose to express water in in big sizes for the uh, general public, but that's what we did. Uh, Let's head to the newsroom now to find out what's making regional news headlines on the program. Rio Davis has that for us today. Good afternoon, Rio. 
Good afternoon, Warwick. Making news around regional Victoria, a Portland doctor who scammed patients out of more than $800,000 to support his gambling habit has been sentenced. Abraham Stephenson was sentenced to three years jail with a non-parole period of 18 months in the Melbourne County Court this morning. The former Seaport Medical Centre doctor previously pleaded guilty to using his father's terminal cancer diagnosis to get his victims to give him money. Bales of hay have been dropped into the Barmer National Park by helicopter after a local Brumby advocacy group found the stranded animals surrounded by floodwater. The Barmer Brumby Preservation Group raised donations to hire the helicopter after the group was using boats to get hay to the Brumbies and other wildlife. The State Emergency Service has issued an evacuate now warning for properties in riverside areas of Goodnight on the New South Wales border due to dangerous flooding. Rising floodwaters are affecting properties on two streets and residents have been advised to leave. An evacuation order is still in place for Kenley, downstream of Wakul Junction, but the evacuation order for Kundruk Primary School has been lifted. The Victorian Transport Infrastructure Minister has cast doubts over the opposition's $260 million election promise for the Shepparton Bypass. The coalition has funded, pledged to fund the phase, first phase of the project, but says additional federal funding would still be required. Jacinta Allen says she doubts the Liberal Nationals have picked up the phone to the federal government about the extra funding. And Warrnambool City Council has voted to close its sale yards after council officers said the venue was financially unsustainable. The council voted 4-3 to three to decommission the site in a meeting last night and the site will be closed in late June next year. Councillors rejected a $5.6 million upgrade to the yards at a council meeting in August. For more regional news at any time, you can visit www.abc.net.au forward slash news. Thanks, Rio. Just on that, actually, we've got a text uh, to do with the Warrnambool Sale Yards. Hi, Warwick. Great show. It's crazy to close the Warrnambool Sale Yards. It's in an industrial area. It's been neglected by council for years uh, with poor maintenance. It has good patronage, can regularly have 3000 ahead at the monthly store sale, and they've run down the yards so they can close the yards to sell the land. That's the thoughts of someone on our text line, an anonymous texter. You can send in your texts as well, 0467 842 722. The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria. Many questions about the weather and particularly about what's expected on Sunday. To get there, though, we better find out what's happening today and for the rest of the week. Michael Efron is a senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology and can join you now. Hi, Michael. Good afternoon, Warwick. Uh, how's it looking today? Pretty sunny outside my window in Shepparton? Yeah, so it started uh, pretty clear across uh, most of the state, but in the last hour or so we've seen that cumulus cloud develop, especially along the ranges, but also uh, some thunderstorms have developed too. So down near Avalon and then uh, further east uh, around uh, Mount Borbore, so along the ranges there, and then uh, south of Mount Hotham as well. So we've seen uh, quite a few strikes uh, with that activity. Uh, and also uh, those showers and storms uh, throughout this afternoon and early evening are likely to be uh, fairly slow moving. So just at the moment, there's no uh, warnings uh, current. However, I would expect that we'll see some uh, throughout this afternoon given uh, those storms, as I said, are moving pretty slowly. So we could see some heavy rainfall out of that, but Mm. 
uh, also very localised. So I think, uh, you know, a few kilometres away may not see anything. So um, a, a little bit like uh, yesterday's activity, which did produce uh, some totals uh, near 50 millimetres through the, the Yarra Ranges. So uh, quite a, an interesting day today. So in that could happen again? It could happen again today, but most likely along uh, the ranges. But uh, further uh, west and, and northwest, um, we are looking at uh, relatively uh, settled conditions and, and pretty warm uh, as well across the state today with those northerly winds. Weak afternoon uh, coastal sea breezes. We're looking at temperatures in the mid to high 20s or low 30s uh, today. So uh, quite warm even, even with those storms. Uh, and also... Uh, a number of flood warnings um, still as well, moderate to major flood warnings for the Murray and Edward Rivers. Uh, good news is that we're seeing some of those warnings being uh, finalised across uh, the northeast of the state, uh, so for the Ovens, King and Mitamita Rivers, but we have also seen a new warning issued uh, for the Werribee River. So just depends uh, where those storms are uh, as to where as to the impacts on uh, those those catchments, but uh, still uh, will be some time, uh, of course, before those um, those warnings are gone. But as we head into Wednesday, we do see uh, some shower and thunderstorm activity once again, I think, less likely through central parts of the state, a focus again in the east and especially along the ranges, but elsewhere still looking like a pretty warm Day a bit warmer than today, actually getting into the low to mid 30s through the northwest. Elsewhere, looking at the high 20s, so a little bit above average for this time of year. On Thursday, we see a low pressure trough entering the west of the state, so showers and thunderstorms developing there. Some of that getting into central Victoria as well. Less likely to see that activity in the east. Uh, quite a humid day as well. Temperatures typically in the mid to high 20s reaching 33, however, at Mildura. And those storms could produce some heavy rainfall on Thursday, uh, even the potential for some gusty winds. So keep an eye on, on that, given elevated uh, pollen levels across the state. On Friday, we see the showers and storms contracting to central and eastern parts, so relatively settled through the west of the state. Temperatures in the mid to high 20s or low 30s, although a bit cooler along the far southwest coast. And then on Saturday, I think we'll see uh, lingering uh, instability. So showers and storms across most areas uh, with a low pressure system approaching from the northwest. So Saturday's looking uh, pretty warm, especially in the northwest, 36 the forecast for Mildura, elsewhere uh, around 26 to 31 degrees. And then on Sunday, that low gets pretty close to the western border. So I think um, we will see uh, the rain increasing through northern, northwestern parts of the state. There's still uh, quite a bit of difference in, in the guidance as to uh, the timing of that rain. So I uh, wouldn't lock it in just yet in terms of, of Sunday's uh, activity, but it does look like um, we will see some areas receiving potentially uh, 15 to 40 uh, millimetres given uh, a band of rain and, and storms will be moving uh, into the state but then on Monday we see that starting to contract east uh, and also uh, slightly cooler westerly winds developing uh, so temperatures uh, Sunday typically in the low to mid 20s 
and on Monday looking at the high teens to low 20s. Yeah, and just and on then, that rain too, Michael, um, looking at the, the map from the Bureau for the eight-day rainfall outlook and yeah, it looks like some areas of central to northeast Victoria are in for 50 to 100 millimetres and, and all of Victoria set to get 25 millimetres or more. So we're talking a significant rainfall event over the next week then, aren't we? I think so. I think Sunday uh, into Monday is, is looking uh, reasonably wet through the, the north into the northeast, but um, given um, there's still a fair bit of uncertainty regarding the, the speed at which that low tracks across southeastern Australia, so wouldn't be uh, locking in uh, that rainfall just yet, but certainly a lot of ingredients there for some uh, moderate to heavy falls across uh, central and, and northeastern. Uh, Victoria, but, but are we expecting week, flood more flood watches and so forth to come into play as we move a, towards that? Absolutely, I think uh, we're probably looking at Friday uh, for for those flood watches, uh, just as we see uh, the guidance starting to uh, line up a, a bit more. So, uh, yeah, still still a fair way to go, but uh, definitely be watching Sunday um, closely at this stage. But uh, into next week, it does look like we see. Uh, cooler conditions with southwesterly flow uh, across Victoria. So the risk of the heavier rain does diminish um, with those sort of conditions. Um, and temperatures probably back in the mid to high teens for uh, a lot of the state uh, into next week. Certainly so. Uh, Michael, thanks very much for the update. Really appreciate it. No worries. Thanks, Warwick. Senior forecaster at the Bureau of Meteorology, Michael Everett. Oh, would have read this text to him, Jim. Jim in the bush sends a text saying, Lingering Instability sounds like an awesome name for a rock band. I like that, Jim. Thank you very much for that text. Uh, and on speaking of the instability and, and the rainfall figures that Michael was just talking about, this one says, Hi, was in Ballarat, we got two millimetres, and down the road, about 1.5 kilometres away, they got over 60 millimetres of rain. That's a mighty big difference, isn't it? Thank you very much for that example as well. You can keep them coming, 0467 We're going to go harvesting now, though, on the program, and I imagine those who are up at the point where you can harvest will be trying to do that mighty quick now with that rainfall on the way. Harvesting machines are beginning to make their way into and around paddocks in northwest Victoria. Growers are attempting to make the most of the fine conditions this week and get as much crop off as possible before more rain delays, as you've just heard. For Clay Gowers, the farm manager at Western Hill Farms at Car Warp. The lentil harvest kicked off on Sunday and Kelly Hollingworth headed out to his place yesterday for a visit to see how the lentils were coming in. Yeah, at the minute's perfect um, harvesting conditions. We are expecting a bit of rain this weekend, so our plan is to get stuck into it and get as much done before, before we get a little bit wet this weekend. You're not the only header that is out here. There's another machine pretty close by and I believe there's a third one as well. Is that right? Yeah, we've decided, um, first year ever, we've uh, decided to get a couple of contractors in. Uh, it's uh, the way that the seasons fanned out this year were pretty scary. It's pretty scary to think, um, you know, it's a bit of rain potentially around and they're still expecting more rain. So our plan is to get it off in as quick a fashion as possible, put it in the, on the ground in bags and help protect it. So, yeah, downgrade is, uh, is definitely a high risk this year with uh, a lot of rainfall around. So that's our our plan is get a cup, get a bit of help. So we've got a yeah, we've got a contracting team in to give us a hand. In terms of the crop you've got in the ground, how much of it is lentils, and what else have, is planted this season? Yeah, so this year we've got 500 hectares of lentils, um, about 
450 of chickpeas, uh, 400 of lupins, some uh, small paddock of field peas, and so that's about 50% of our farm. And then the other 50% is wheat and barley, um, about uh, 15%. Oh, sorry, 25% each. So about 50% wheat and barley, and the other 15% a variety of different legumes. And I understand that your family's been doing this for several years now in terms of growing lentils, but the volume that you're planting is increasing and you're even looking at doubling it next year. Why is that? I think um, just for our area, we've kind of found that lentils is the best bang for buck. Um, good drought resistance. Uh, we've, we've been doing it for about five years now, playing around with lentils, and it's it's by far out-yielded our uh, return dollars per hectare than chickpeas. We still do a little bit of chickpeas, but we're sort of tapering them down. So we're, we're going 500 hectares this year, and next year we're actually upping it to about... Uh, between 12 and 1500 so our agronomy program is sort of yeah tail, sort of tailor making it for lentils and uh, when you look at the crop we've got this year we're quite happy with it but um, it is also the best crop we've ever grown so we're getting a bit more confidence so it's sort of the legume of choice in, in our area at the minute. I was looking at the prices that are being paid for lentils at the moment and it's high 800s delivered to Melbourne and I think to some of the processes in the Wimmera, it might be low 900s. Are they? You pretty happy with what's on offer? Yeah, that's it's pretty steady at the minute. I think. Yeah, I looked this morning and yeah, about an Daily and Central Vic is is yeah low 800s. Um, we think it's going to go higher. Um, with I suppose a lot of damage in in New South Wales and, and Southern Victoria, we don't see any reason why it couldn't get over a thousand or even possibly higher. So, again, our goal is to put it on the ground in bags and, and possibly sit on it for a little bit and see what happens down south with their harvest and, and potentially, you know, maximise our yield and maximise our price, which is, uh, you know, you can usually get one or the other, but to get both of them is, um, is quite incredible. You mentioned that this is one of the best crops you've grown in terms of quality when you've taken it to Nan Daly to get tested. What kind of feedback have you had about how it looks? Uh, just based off the test we got done yesterday and um, we'll probably get a few more tests done down the track, it's not quite going the they've got sort of like two category, categories so they've got like a higher um, sort of I suppose A class category and then they've got a slightly less one uh, the only difference between them is slight imperfections in the seed um, I, think, I think there is a slight uh, a price deduction on that too so um, at this stage it, it'll be what it'll be the season's presented it'll, we can't really change the the plumpness of the seed, I suppose, but um, at this stage we're still going uh, food variety. Otherwise, if it drops into a stock feed variety, it'd drop down to who knows four, four or five hundred dollars. So, quite a significant downgrade. So, again, trying to get it off before that rain comes, because um, yeah, it could potentially drop four or five hundred bucks, which is would be devastating after the year we've had. When do you expect to be completely done and dusted for this season? Oh, it's always a difficult question, isn't it? It's it really depends, I suppose, on the weather. Um, if we don't get too stopped with rain, I estimate we could probably be finished within the month. Um, but it also it does depend on, yeah, rain and I mean lentils and uh, legumes in general are quite slow, so they you know they will be quite slow getting the lentil, the legumes off. Uh, once we sort of get in the cereal, we'll go that little bit quicker, which would be be good. But um, I'd love to sort of be finished. Oh, it'd be awesome to be done by December. Um, I've actually got a wedding to go to, so it'd be, it'd be awesome to be done so I um, don't have to stress at the wedding knowing that there's, they're not finished. So, yeah, I think um, with, the, with the amount of manpower we've got here and the, and, and the contractors, um, I don't see, see it being out of the question to be finished in three to four weeks. So the plan is to have the contractors 
on board the entire harvest. Yeah, so it's very um, sort of very unique year. They can't. They usually go up into Queensland, and you'd have to book them in, and you'd only probably have them for a couple of weeks. So this year they're they're sitting around with no jobs to go to. So we've actually got them for as long as we want, which is really, really um, it's unique and it's it's good. So we're we're in the best possible position for us having them at our disposal. And, and I mean, you, you do have to give a, a share of it away to, to them to, to pay for their uh, the machinery. But the way we look at it is we're actually. Uh, you know, it's cheap insurance to ensure we get maximise the profit and maximise the year we get here, and it's um, you know paying a small fee to to ensure you get it in the silo. There you go, a bit of harvest action. It's already started for many growers in the northwest of the state. If that's you, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a text zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Clay Gowers there is the farm manager at Western Hill Farms at Carwarp. He was speaking there with Kelly Hollingworth. Great to be out in the tractor and even just to hear it especially in a year like what we're going through as well speaking of harvesting though people doing a lot of harvest work are finding it pretty difficult particularly some residents of Shepparton who are still picking up the pieces after weeks of heavy rain and flooding in that community and Pacific Island labourers are amongst those who have been hit by the floods with many finding themselves living in evacuation centres and with no work available many won't be able to pay rent when they leave that emergency housing. Simon Met is originally from Papua New Guinea and runs a labour contracting firm in Shepparton. He was speaking here to ABC's Pacific Beat program. Those people that I know of, I have the contacts and everything. I told them, uh, I, I gave the name list to the PNC um, uh, Association in Melbourne, and then they were able to get some, uh, f- uh, bring some food, vouchers, everything like that. And then they gave it, I, I distributed out to everyone. And yeah, we've been um, living on uh, like donations or uh, food supply from agencies like that for the uh, for the last three weeks or so mm. and so there is no work because of the flooding and i've no, and, and... all the all the farms been flooded and there hasn't been any work since the, the, the rain was going forever like uh, continuously all the all the major roads linking to farms even into the solving centers and everywhere else been blocked off because of the rain and uh, you know they can't drive around in the in the you know water so the police and uh, emergency people got involved and they stopped everything. And then we were isolated. We've been ev- ev- evacuated uh, up to the relief centres and stuff like that. And so um, those workers, as, as you say, um, are relying on donations. Does that mean that they are not getting paid or at least some of them? Trust me, they've been really f- having a hard time. I tried my, st- self, I must, I tried my best to take them to Salvation Army and, you know, the, uh, the other places they were having out Red Cross and stuff like that and then I was trying to assist them with food and clothes and stuff like that but yeah seriously it's they even I've seen them not paying the rent rent for where, where, they, where they were staying they're supposed to go back and stay because of the flood and you know they can't go back because they don't have the rent money in that so it's really it, it's been really hard and how many workers are we talking about and families, obviously? Uh, uh, the ones that are, uh, we, um, we are together here is about 20, 30, 30, 30 to 40 people. Hmm. And are they still in, um, I mean, where, where are they living right now? Where are they sheltering? 
Uh, they, they've been in the evacuation uh, relief center. They've been given uh, mattresses, uh, pillows, and uh, yeah, they've been living there for, I think, last three weeks. And now that the water is slowly going back, uh, some of them, they changed their headdresses and uh, most of them, they used to live in the caravan parks and that. One of the caravan, uh, main one that most people were living, it was near the flood area, the, you know, major, the running river runs next to it. So that one is is shut down forever. They said they're going to do some re- uh, rehabilitation uh, for the next six months. So they can't be able to go back there. And then some of them were lucky. Uh, we got moved. We moved them into, you know, another caravan park. And yeah, the problem is they they just can't afford to really live there. But I, some of them, I I, I tried to uh, negotiate with the uh, caravan owner and that. And I got them a group of uh, boys in there. It's there living there. But the, I told them when they work they will definitely pay. But now, as you know, they haven't got the money. And what are you calling for? Is there anything that the community can help with or support these um, families with? Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. I was um, I took them into to apply for that relief um, fund um, last, I think, two, three days ago. And they did apply, but I don't think they got any feedback from the from the... The it's called the FFH, I think. Uh, that's where they they asked them to apply, but they didn't um, they didn't hear anything back from them yet. At Simon Met, originally from Papua New Guinea, and runs a labour contracting firm in Shepparton. Speaking to the ABC's Dubravka Voloda uh, from the Pacific Beat program. You're listening to the Country Hour. Let's head off to livestock markets now. And a couple of markets to get through. We'll start with the cattle markets before moving on to the sheep. We'll begin in Wodonga with Leanne Dax. Good afternoon, Leanne. Good afternoon. 1,400 cattle we yarded in a fair to good quality yarding. All the usual buyers made it to the market and most were operating. There was a bigger number of veal along with a good selection of yearling trade cattle. Heavy cattle, however for export were in short supply. The market fluctuated quite a bit with finish and fat cover dictating prices. Veal gained 10 cents at the top end, $5 to $6. Trade steers were firm to fall better, $5 to $5.55. Feeder steers were very few to quote, $5.10 to $5.40. Trade heifers, $4.65 to $5.39. Feeder heifers, $4.40 to $5.09. Heavy steers, $4.40 to $5.80. Bullocks, $4.40 to $4.70. Frisian steers, the better end, $3.74 to $3.80. Heavy cows and leaner grades were 5 to $0.12 cents cheaper. Heavy, $3.84 to $4.14. The middle run, $3.10 to $3.70. Leanne Dax, MLA. Sounds interesting at the cattle markets at the moment. Some price movements we might need to keep an eye on. Let's see if it's a similar situation at Shepherd and the cattle market report is uh, brought to you from there from Nicole Varley. Good afternoon, Nicole. Good afternoon. 
We had 1,140 exports, 395 trade cattle penned at Shep. And within the exports, 705 were cows. Numerous grades of cattle saw a cheaper trend as several export buyers took on a more observant role this week. Store cow orders were also quieter. The dairy cow prices slipped as the sale progressed to finish 10 to 30 cents cheaper, even more in some places. Beef cows, although scarce, also met a softer note. Not a huge selection of growing steers and bullocks to choose from with prices there remaining firm to only a few cents back on the better shaped and finished sorts. Frisian steers were the talk as both the light and heavier end slipped by 20 to 50 cents. Best of dealers to the trade made to 580 cents. Store buyers paid to 602 for the lighter weighted calves. Yearling steers to the trade 464 to 538. Several of the yearling heifer grades remained on par with the previous sale and made from 420 to 540 cents to average 480. The 500 to 600 kilo steers 450 to $5. 600 kilo plus bullocks reached 473. Not many beef cows about, and they made from 355 to $4. And then heavy dairy cows 255 to 375 cents to average around 321 for the D1s. This is Nicole Varley from Shepparton. Thanks very much for that, Nicole. I wonder if the fall in some cattle prices there is also happening in the sheep market. Let's go to Ballarat Sheep and Lamb Market Report now with Shiona Lamb. Good afternoon, Shiona. Good afternoon. Lamb supply increased to 29,000. Quality range remained very good. A large portion of the yarding were lighter store and trade lambs lacking finish. All the usual buying group attended in a, mar- in a mixed market. Light store and trade lambs sold to 10 cheaper and to 20 in places. Medium trade sold firm for the well-covered finished lambs and to 10 cheaper for the planer types. Heavy trade were firm. Extra heavy export lambs sold to 17 Deera. Store buyers were quieter this week, paying $65 to $200 a head lambs to the trade, 18 to 22, sold $144 to $190 a head, 22 to 24 kilos, sold $180 to $215, 24 to 26, sold $209 to 250 with a wide range of 770 to 840 cents a kilo carcass weight. Export four score, 26 kilos and over lambs, sold to 232 to 287 and to average 850 to 890 cents a kilo carcass weight. Heavy old lambs with good fat cover over 26 kilos sold extremely well, selling from $175 to $334 a head in places to $50 a head dearer. There is still one agent to sell lambs and 12,000 sheep to be sold. This is Shiona Lamb at Ballarat for MLA. Yeah, a little bit different there. Shiona, thank you very much for that report and thank you very much for your company today on The Country Hour. If you head online, abc.net.au slash rural, you can read right now about an absolutely Awesome sounding, record breaking, shearing attempt. Here's the headline for you. A handful of jelly beans, eight hours and 1,600 lambs help shearers crack a world record. They didn't just crack the world record. They went out and smashed it. Go and read about it there or tune into the country out tomorrow. I'll have more details for you on the program there. Obviously, a lot more information on things like flooding and rainfall and rainfall in areas where it's going to do a lot of good, maybe even on the nation's largest sheep station, which is pretty happy with some spring soaking rains there. You can read all about it, as I said, online, abc.net.au slash rural. On the program tomorrow, we might have the opposition leader in Victoria, Matthew Guy, to speak to you. If you have any questions, you should send them through now. It'll be a pre-recorded interview. I'll join you at the same bat time tomorrow. Until then, have a great afternoon.